2: Here we go. Episode 156 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, September 30th, 2021. The final day of September. We will do our best to end September with a bang, not a whimper on this podcast. We will do our best to end September on a high note. I don't know how successful we'll be, but we'll try. We'll do what we can. Uh, This has been a very good month for this podcast. From a download standpoint, I thank all of you uh, for that. Uh, Will the Washington football team play with a bang and not a whimper this Sunday at the Atlanta Falcons? Will the Washington defense play with a bang or get banged this Sunday at the Falcons? I have a big show on the Washington football team for you. Curtis Samuel was back practicing on Wednesday. Full report on that and some other notable injury items for Washington coming up next segment. Ron Rivera, and Taylor Heineke spoke on Wednesday via post-practice press conference. Ron actually got asked about Heineke's job security. Uh, Ron's answer was quite telling and very good. I'm going to get into that as well as into Ron further explaining what he meant on Monday when he said that he wants Heineke to, quote, do things in more of a game manager way, end quote. Man, it is amazing how much this game manager thing has become a thing, but it's also not surprising at all. Uh, I'll also talk Washington defense, as Ron on Wednesday gave us more on what he's looking for from Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Big game on Thursday night for Virginia at Miami. I have a proper Goldilocks preview and pick for you. Uh, If you, like me, watch that Nationals game at the Colorado Rockies on Wednesday. My deepest sympathies to you. Nearly six hours when you factor in the two-hour rain delay. What are we doing with our lives watching games like that? Uh, Nats lost 10-5 in their final road game of the season. I'll talk about what went down, including some news regarding Nats' pitchers. I'll give you an Orioles segment as well as one of their pitchers. Zach Lowther looked good again on Wednesday night, though in a 6 nothing loss to the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park. At Camden Yards. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Email from Robert Krakower on Chase Young. Writes, Robert, maybe I'm being reactionary, but I am finding myself irritated by Chase Young. He seems to be playing selfishly and undisciplined. Rivera talks about the defense lacking discipline, and I believe Young is an offender. This is a continuation of his off-the-field exploits, such as missing OTAs and not being vaccinated. Is he working with or against Rivera? I'm not advocating for it, but benching Young would reinforce the culture Rivera is implementing. Talent is great when coupled with discipline, but useless without it. Nobody is bigger than the team and benching Young would reflect that. Hopefully it does not come to this, but so far he is getting on my nerves. So I agree with you in that I do think that Ron is talking about Chase Young and also other players when Ron talks about players not playing the defense the way that the defense is supposed to be played. I do get that sense and I don't get why this thing is happening. This thing of players not playing the defense the way that the defense is supposed to be played. Because this didn't seem to be a problem last season, or at the very least, nobody ever mentioned this being a problem last season. Personally, I find this stuff about guys not playing the defense as it's supposed to be played disturbing. It's why I've brought up the possibility of things going on internally that we don't know about. Things just are not adding up with why this defense is has been so bad. With the COVID-19 vaccination situation, yeah, it does appear as if Chase Young isn't vaccinated for COVID-19. For a while, it looked like he may have been because he stopped wearing a mask during his press conferences. But lately, he has been back to wearing a mask. And my guess is that he's doing that because he has to as mandated by NFL protocols. So yeah, it would appear as if Chase is among those Washington players who isn't vaccinated COVID-19, but we don't know that with certainty. So I do want to make that clear. Uh, So far, though, COVID-19 has not been an issue in the NFL. And hopefully that continues. The last that we heard on Washington's COVID-19 player vaccination situation was 91%. Uh, We on September 10th had multiple reports that Washington's player vaccination rate for COVID-19 was at 91%, meaning that 91% of Washington's players had each received at least one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine. So Washington's player vaccination rate for COVID-19 remained high despite the cut down to 53. That was something that we had wondered about. Would the vax rate go down significantly off all of the cuts? And the answer is no. Uh, And no, Chase Young is not getting benched, nor should he be benched. He needs to play better. You know, that's what needs to happen. Chase Young needs to play like Chase Young, and the onus is on Chase to play better, just as the onus is on Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio for this defense overall to be better. email from Michael A. Lindsay, a professor at NYU, a PhD on the Washington football team struggling defense. right Michael, I was thinking about something that I do not believe has been mentioned by you or others who report on the WFT. Might the problem with the D line be that it is missing a veteran who can help be a strong locker room presence and might be able to further translate messages from coaches to the younger players. Enter Ryan Kerrigan. It is not clear to me why the organization jettisoned Kerrigan. He was Mr. Redskin during his tenure with the WFT. When Rivera talks about culture change, is Kerrigan not a key cog you want in your culture? Hypocrisy, man. What was the real reason Kerrigan was let go? Like you and others in the fan base, I've been tossing and turning every corner of my brain capacity to figure out this defense after three games. No one expected this outcome. I believe Kerrigan's absence might be a factor. What say you, On to something or off base? Uh, I would say that you're probably off base. I don't want to be entirely dismissive of your theory because right now I'm open to just about anything with why this defense has been this bad. But Kerrigan isn't the player he used to be. Uh, he has played on about 43% of the Philadelphia Eagles defensive snaps through three games. So his playing time with the Eagles is right around what his playing time with Washington was last season. And Kerrigan has done basically nothing for the Eagles so far. Now, maybe he starts making an impact for the Eagles at some point this season, but he's a declining player at this point. In his career. And when it comes to your point about Kerrigan's leadership, look, Ryan Kerrigan was known as a great dude, you know, ultimate team guy, did everything that was asked of him, but he also was known as a guy who led by example, you know, not by force, not by being vocal. I'll grant you that we don't know everything that goes on or went on behind the scenes, but every indication is that Kerrigan isn't a guy who like grab teammates by their shirt collars to get them to play better, you know? So the idea that Kerrigan would be getting Chase Young, Montez Sweat or whoever to be more disciplined and or play better right now uh to me is unlikely to be true. What's funny though is this, Kerrigan is a classic I do my job exactly as I'm supposed to do my job kind of player. So in that sense you could argue he's exactly what Ron Rivera wants right now because Ron has repeatedly said that a problem with the defense, right, is guys not doing their jobs, not adhering to the defense, not playing the defense the way that the defense is supposed to be played. But no, I do not think that the absence of Kerrigan is a major factor here. One more email. This one comes to us from Rob Simmons on a certain former Washington football team running back writes, Rob, hey, Al, did you see Mr. One Yard and a cloud of dust? Hayton Barber, running for 111 yards and a touchdown for the Raiders. Uh, Yes, Rob, I did see that. Hayton Barber, who the Las Vegas Raiders signed off of Washington's practice squad on September 4th, went off in the Raiders' 31-28 overtime win over the Miami Dolphins last Sunday. Barber, 23 carries for 111 yards and a touchdown. I mean, I know. You get the Washington football team's 43-21 blowout loss at the Buffalo Bills. And then you see what Peyton Barber rushes for a buck 11 and a touchdown in a Raiders overtime win over the Dolphins. Like, yeah, talk about salt in the wound. And you know who else had a good game this past Sunday and who is off to a good start this season? Uh, I will not say his name. Okay. I will not say his name. I will simply just play this for you. I'm a little bit more process oriented. Yeah, that guy, he whose name shall not be said aloud because anytime you mention him or say that he should still be here, people get all bent out of shape. But that guy in a 30-17 Minnesota Vikings win over the Seattle Seahawks last Sunday went 30 of 38 for 323 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. That guy is currently number two among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 78.0. But no, we shall not say his name. In fact, do you remember the classic scene in Breaking Bad, the say my name scene?
3: Now, say my name. Heisenberg,
2: you're goddamn right. Yeah. That's right. Say my name. Say his name. Now, say my name, Eisenberg. You're goddamn right. That's right. I love it. What a great show. Breaking Bad was my all-time favorite show. Well, here's a name to be aware of: Weedman. If your lawn doesn't look as you want it to look, if you're not satisfied with who is currently caring for your lawn, know this name. Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says. It's going to do when you call Weedman, you're speaking to someone in an office in your area, not someone somewhere in like the Midwest. You're not waiting for 30 minutes to speak to someone. Weedman actually has real answers that have meaning in your area, and Weedman listens to you. If you have a specific area on your lawn that needs attention, Weed Man will take care of that area. You're not dealing with some huge faceless corporation that treats you like a number. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. If you're not satisfied with your lawn or with who is treating your lawn, make the switch to Weedman. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners. Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. And Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. Now, a beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall, and so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast a fall tune up at a great price, an aeration, and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal. That price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do call 571 3,400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. So you get the special deal again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, about $100 off the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. So you get that special deal. I want you to benefit from this deal. Uh, you can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right. The 1-2 Washington football team began its practice week on Wednesday for this Sunday afternoon's game at the 1-2 and two Atlanta Falcons at one. We on Wednesday, as expected, had the return of Curtis Samuel to practice. Yes, the Curtis Samuel dance, the Curtis Samuel cha-cha-cha is back on. Uh, Samuel has been on the reserve injured list since September 10th due to the groin injury. A player who is on the reserve injured list is eligible to start practicing after missing three weeks of games. His team then has 21 days to place him back on its active roster. So it may well be that Samuel practices this week, but then doesn't play at the Falcons on Sunday. It could be that Samuel practices over the next two weeks, but then doesn't play in Washington's Week 5 game, which is against the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field. But Washington would not have initiated this practice window for Samuel if Washington didn't at least feel that there's a possibility that Samuel is good to go for Sunday at the Falcons. Rod Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday on how Samuel looked.
3: He looked good. You know, he moved around well. Um, you know, we incorporate him in some of the things that we do. I, you know, I, I really like watching him run, especially on the deep balls. He, he, he showed, uh, you know, his speed. So it was good to see him out there. And, uh, you know, but we have 21 days still before we have to do anything. Um, but, you know, it, it, was, it was good for his first bit of action.
2: Now, remember what happened two days before Washington put Samuel on the reserve injured list, the apparent setback. Washington put Samuel on the reserve injured list on September 10th. It was on September 8th that Samuel ran routes early in a Washington practice, but did not look good, and then walked off to the side to work with trainers. Uh, Ron, on Wednesday, on whether the approach with Samuel now needs to be any different than the approach was in that lead up to week one.
3: We have to do the same thing we do because we've got to try to put him in, 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 a, in a football as much of a football situation as we could possibly do that. And so by you know, having him come out and practice the way we had him practice today, we'll increase stuff tomorrow and see how he handles it if he comes out of it good tomorrow morning.
2: It would be great if Curtis Samuel was able to play on Sunday at the Falcons because the truth is that Washington receivers, not named Terry McLaurin, have been underwhelming so far. Uh, look at what went down. In the last game, the 43-21 loss at the Buffalo Bills this past Sunday, De'Ami Brown in that loss at the Bills, no receptions on two targets, one of which was a drop. He also had a carry for minus four yards. Uh, Adam Humphreys in the loss at the Bills, one reception for seven yards on four targets. Cam Sims in the loss at the Bills, one reception for 15 yards on two targets, one of which was a drop. He also had a carry for seven yards. Uh, Ron on Wednesday was asked for his impressions so far this season of Washington receivers not named Terry McLaurin, who we all know has been great. And it was interesting. Ron and his answer only talked about Deami Brown. Here's what Ron said.
3: Well, you know, Deami's growing and learning, and, and we've got to we've got to be able to make sure he understands and, and and gets the feel for things. You know, he's uh, he's a rookie who's got uh, some things that he has to improve on. He knows that, and he'll continue to work. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we'd like to see him obviously be a little more active, make a few more plays, but we've also got to throw him the ball. And if we do throw him, he's got to catch it, you know, and that's the truth.
2: Yeah, too many drops by Washington pass catchers in the loss at the Bills. Brown had a drop. Sims had a drop. Antonio Gibson had a drop. By the way, while we're talking receivers, did you see who Washington signed to its practice squad on Wednesday? Kelvin Harmon. Yes, Kelvin Harmon is back. Uh, Washington on Wednesday announcing the signing of Kelvin Harmon to the practice squad. So Washington on August 15th released Harmon as part of the first batch of significant cuts at 2021 Washington football team training camp. He spent all of last season on the reserve non-football injury list. He was put on that September 5th, 2020. Remember, Harmon suffered a torn right ACL and torn right LCL while working out in the 2020 offseason, about a month before the start of 2020 Washington training camp. 2019 six-round pick at NC State. Had a promising 2019 rookie season. Came on as the season went on. Harmon over Washington's last seven games in that 2019 regular season. 22 receptions for 290 yards on 35 targets. Also was a very good blocker as a rookie in 2019. Uh, I got no problem with bringing him back. Into the practice squad. Now, Curtis Samuel was not listed on Washington's official injury report on Wednesday. That's because Samuel still is not a member of the active roster. So, whether Samuel was a full participant in practice or a limited participant in practice is hard to say. But, listed on Washington's injury report were multiple players. Uh, Washington's injury reports over the first three weeks of the season were quite liked. Uh, Washington's injury report for Wednesday had four guys on the report, including Benjamin St. Juice, who it turns out is in concussion protocol. Uh, nobody saw that coming. We had heard nothing about St. Juice potentially having a concussion until Wednesday. When did this potential concussion for St. Juice happen? It was Ron on Wednesday.
3: Well, um, he, 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 he took a shot and came out. During the game, uh, he was examined um, and he was he was he was put back in because he looked pretty good. Apparently, when he got back and and things settled in and and he didn't feel well today. So uh, we had him see the doctors just to be safe and and figure out what's going on. Um, It's one of those things that unfortunately was was a little bit of a reaction. And and he really didn't feel bad until I think today.
2: Yeah. So a Washington secondary that already has not been good, maybe down its number three corner come this Sunday at the Falcons. The next man up presumably would be Tory McTyre or Daryl Roberts, uh, but McTire has played on just 13 of Washington's defensive snaps so far this season, and Roberts has been inactive for each of Washington's first three regular season games. Also on Washington's injury report for Wednesday, Matt Ioannidis, uh, he was listed as having been a limited participant in practice due to a knee, which had him as inactive for the loss at the Bills. Charles Leno Jr. was listed as not practicing on Wednesday, though that was due to a Veterans Day off. And Brandon Sheriff was listed as not practicing on Wednesday due to his chest. Uh, Remember, Sheriff left that loss at the Bills for a few snaps. Uh, Sheriff did not play on three of Washington's offensive snaps, as he was said to have gotten the wind knocked out of him and crashing into a sidewall, uh, Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a late second quarter punt. Second snap of the drive on a first and 10 for Washington at its 36. On what ended up being a no play due to three penalties on the Bills, Brandon Sheriff ran into a sidewall on the Washington sideline and tried to tackle Bills corner Taron Johnson off his apparent interception of Taylor Heineke. And uh, Sheriff took quite the bump as he, in trying to avoid a photographer on the ground, ended up going chest first into the sidewall. Uh, for those of you who remember one of the all-time greats in pro wrestling, Brett the Hitman hard. he used to take this great chest first bump into the turnbuckles. That's what it looked like Sheriff was doing. He was mimicking the hitman and going chest first into the sidewall. And then Sheriff took a Terry Funk-like bump in uh, falling over a large case onto his back. Sheriff was all over the place. And crashing into that sideline, he is a massive human being, and he was running at full speed. So he exited the game. Thankfully, for just three offensive snaps, Wes Schweitzer played on four of Washington's offensive snaps in the game, including on the three that Sheriff missed. But hopefully, Sheriff will play on Sunday. Uh, he did come back into the game in the loss at the Bills. You know, you had that bizarre setup at the Bills Stadium, uh, what is officially High Mark Stadium, with that track-like surface uh, near the sidewall. That sheriff crashed into. That seems dangerous, changing the nature of the surface as you approach a wall like that. You know, you go from whatever the field turf is to then this track like surface. I mean, I'm not saying that that necessarily caused sheriff to get hurt, but uh, you would think that the nature of the surface it did not help. Uh, perhaps sheriff should call Paulson and Nace. Uh, Paulson and Nace is a law firm that's ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Uh, Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans, Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, Or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Make sure that you say, hey, I heard about you guys on the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what I got going on. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, a lot of Taylor Heineke talk after Washington football team practice on Wednesday. Uh, First, during Ron Rivera's post practice press conference, and then during Heineke's post practice presser. So, Heineke, to me, in the 43 21 loss at the Buffalo Bills on Sunday afternoon, was mixed. Uh, He was mixed as opposed to good for the first time in five games, regular season and postseason, as a Washington quarterback. You cannot say that Heineke was great. He had two bad interceptions, he had multiple near picks. He committed that third quarter, second and eight, five yard illegal forward pass penalty. He led a Washington offense that went just two of 11 on third downs. The performance wasn't nearly good enough, but Heineke also did do some good things. 14 to 24 for 212 yards. That's 8.83 yards per pass attempt. That's good. And those numbers would have been even better if not for three drops. By Washington pass catchers. Heineke accounted for three touchdowns, two touchdown passes and a touchdown run, which was a tremendous run. A second quarter, second and goal, four yard shotgun scramble touchdown run on which he ran the ball in from about the Bills 20 and scored by a diving headfirst at the front right pylon. However, Ron on Wednesday got asked about Taylor Heineke's job security. Yes, Taylor Heineke's job security was a thing on Wednesday. Uh, Came up via a question from Scott Abraham of ABC7. And Scott's a good guy. Uh, I was actually just on his TV show, Sports Talk, on Monday night. What I'm going to do is play the exchange in its entirety so that you get the full context. So you'll hear the question from Scott, and then you'll hear the answer from Ron. Does Taylor still have a long leash in a sense? If, if, if he struggles, maybe, you know, again, early in the first half, is there an indication or have you had talks maybe thinking of Kyle Allen coming in? Have you no. got, gotten to that point?
3: No, I, I'm, I'm not even contemplating that. You know, this first time I thought about it was right here. Honestly, was your question.
2: Love it. Very happy to hear Ron answer that question the way that Ron did. A total and complete shutdown of even the notion of benching Taylor Heineke right now in favor of Kyle Allen. That was 100% the right answer to give. A, Heineke's performance at the Bills was the first thing even close to a bad game that Heineke has had as a Washington quarterback. And I would argue that Heineke was more mixed than bad. And so the idea that Heineke, after just one game in which he wasn't good, deserves to be playing for his job is ludicrous. B, What you don't want for a growing, developing quarterback like Heineke is for him to all of a sudden be looking over his shoulder and see the last thing, the last thing that this Washington football team needs right now is a quarterback controversy. Okay, I mean, (laughs) imagine that a quarterback controversy on top of everything else that's going on right now. Ron later in his post-practice press conference addressed his shutdown of the notion of benching Taylor Heineke in favor of Kyle Allen.
3: I'm not afraid to play uh, Kyle, but I, I don't want Taylor looking over his shoulder. That, you know, and that's my whole point you know, about not thinking about it, and, and I'm not going to broach that subject with our players. You know, we'll go into these things, and when I make a decision, I make a decision because I believe it's the best thing. But for right now, I'm going to stick with Taylor because, you know, honestly... That was Taylor's fourth start ever. It was his first start on the road. Um, And he was put in a deficit from the beginning. So he tried to do the best he can. And I thought he handled the situations pretty well, considering. You know, we had at one point it was 14-21, and and unfortunately we dropped a chance for an interception at midfield. So who knows what would have happened at that point if we could have completed that, you know, if we could have made the play. So it's, you know, it's it's all part of the growing process that we will go through as a football team. It's all part of the growing process that Taylor will go through as a quarterback.
2: Yeah, I'm glad that Ron brought up the context of the loss at the Bills. That's the thing with the two Heineke interceptions. They were the results of bad throws slash decisions. Yes, but those bad throws slash decisions may well have been functions of Washington being down. By as much as Washington was, like there was a desperation for Washington's offense to make big plays, to score, and Heineke should not have given into that desperation, but I can understand where he was coming from. This was not some trash performance by Heineke that makes you say to yourself, oh, good God, this guy can never, ever, ever be a starting quarterback in the NFL again. This was a below average performance by Taylor Heineke that you look at and you say, well, he's got to be better than that. Okay, but if that's the worst that Taylor Heineke ever is, you can live with that. You can operate with that. You can function with that. Also from Ron on Wednesday regarding Taylor Heineke was Ron expounding on what he said on Monday that got so much attention. So Ron, during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday, said that he wants Heineke to, quote, do things in more of a game manager way, end quote. Uh, I talked about this at length on Tuesday's show, episode 154. I did not think that Ron, in saying what he said, meant that he wants Heineke to become, you know, a check down Charlie who plays way too conservatively. The phrase game manager, for whatever reason, has this negative connotation. What I took what Ron said to mean was that Ron wants Heineke to play intelligently, which Heineke for the most part has as a Washington quarterback. And sure enough, this was Ron on Wednesday on if being a game manager entails more than just throwing checkdowns.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do in, in game management. And, and again, it's not just checking down. It, it, it's, it's making the right read. It's putting us in the right offense, offensive play. Um, it's tucking the ball and running at the right time, stuff like that, as opposed to throwing it.
2: Yeah, this idea that Ron, with what he said on Monday, meant that he wants Heineke to become this ultra-conservative quarterback who doesn't take any chances, there's no way that Ron meant that. Like, What kind of a nut job head coach would say that and mean that he wants his quarterback to stop taking chances, stop trying to make big plays, and just throw a bunch of checkdowns? Nobody wants that. Uh, more from Ron on Wednesday on Heineke.
3: He's progressed very well. The big thing that Taylor has to understand is that you know, if, if you're down by a big deficit, you, there there's not a 17 point play. You know what I'm saying? So you, you're not going to get it all back on one throw. So let's make this make the right decision. You know, and 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 again, I've said this before, and the point being is that you do what's right because it's the right decision. If a checkdown is the right play, then throw the checkdown. If the Nine routes—the right play. Throw the nine route, and and that's the thing that has to be, that's the thing that has to be done.
2: Yeah, game manager means make good decisions, whatever those decisions may be. That's all that game manager means, at least in the way that Ron used the phrase. Why does the phrase game manager have such a negative connotation? More from Ron.
3: Because people think you don't want the guy to 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 make plays, you know. Uh, there's a there's a there's a time and a place to make the big plays. You know, if you watch the way Tom Brady plays, and everybody wishes they had a Tom Brady, but he's very he's very systematic. He he handles it. He controls the game and controls the tempo. Controls the pace and makes great decisions. And all of a sudden, he's throwing you know big bombs. I mean, he's throwing big balls downfield. I mean, the, the guy's the ultimate. I think. Um, and 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 that's really you know if you look at it at times. Tom Brady knows, hey, I'm going to manage you here. He knows, hey, I got to make a play here. That's really what you want your quarterbacks to do. You know, it just, what you don't want them to do is, is, is to be put in a tough position. And that's on us in, in terms of putting him in a tough position.
2: Yeah. So Ron there is invoking Tom Brady as a game manager. You get a better sense here of what Ron was talking about when he said on Monday that he wants Taylor Heineke to, quote, do things in more of a game manager way. End quote. What about Taylor Heineke himself? Uh this was Heineke at his post practice press conference on Wednesday on what the phrase game manager means to him.
4: I think it uh I think quarterbacks themselves um view that as um that's all they can do, maybe. I don't know. Um I have no problem with it. Um, and that's what every quarterback should be, a game manager. You know, you, you take what's there, take what's given, and um, you move the ball down the field. And, um, you know, that, that's that's something I want to do. That's something I want to be. But at the same time, I know that there's also other aspects of my game that could help, you know, whether that's on my feet or whatnot. So, um, yeah, game manager's fine with me. You know, just keep moving the chains, get the ball in those guys' hands, and score some points.
2: Yeah, that's it. Nothing wrong with being a game manager, not if that's meant in the non-pejorative way. Here was Heineke on Wednesday on an example from the loss at the Bills of where he would have been better served by being more of a game manager.
4: Yeah, so you, if you look back at the second interception I had late in the third quarter, um you know, we had a play called where I just should have looked at the dig and checked it down to Logan. He was wide open. And maybe it's only a five-yard route in third and 17, but, hey, you get it to him quick. Maybe he gets the first down, maybe not. But you're not giving the defense the ball in plus territory. You, you punt it down, make them earn their points. So, um, again, it's just stuff like that um, to keep working on to, you know, make it easier for the defense to stop them instead of giving them a great field position.
2: Yeah, the dissection of Ron having used that phrase game manager really has been something else uh Heineke later in his post-practice press conference was asked if he's always been okay with being called or being told to be a game manager
4: every time it's thrown out there I'm like you know so what If, if you're called a game manager and you're winning games who cares um um But again, you know, I go back to every quarterback should be a game manager. You know, you're put in the spot, the ball's in your hands every play, and you're supposed to make the right decision. So um, if you manage the game the right way, uh, you should win the game. So that doesn't bother me whatsoever.
2: Nor should it. These phrases, these labels, they don't matter. What matters is the performance. And so with Heineke's performance in the loss at the Bills, what stood out to him in reviewing the game? What does he want to improve on?
4: Biggest thing um, is just sticking to the game plan, sticking to what, you know, what, what we practice throughout the week. You know, if it's a third and 17 like it was late in the game and you're down a lot of points, uh, you don't have to make a big play. You just have to keep taking that check down if it's there and, and keep moving the chains. Um, and that's where I kind of kind of went off the board and tried to make something big happen and that resulted in interceptions. So um, again, that's something that we learned on film yesterday, something that we worked on today at practice and uh, something to keep improving.
2: And Washington's offense needs to improve. You know, Washington's defense has been the team's biggest problem, but the offense certainly can be better. Washington through week three is 20th in the NFL in total offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. And for all of the talk about how bad Washington's defense has been on third downs, and yes, Washington's defense has been woeful on third downs, do you know where Washington's offense ranks on third downs? Dead last. Yeah. Washington through week three, dead last in the NFL in third down efficiency at 26.5%. Nine for 34. Gotta be better than that. Of course, also needing to be better for Washington is that defense. The latest on that after this. We continue the Washington football team conversation. We all know that Washington's defense has been really, really bad over the team's first three games of the season. That the defense has been so bad, despite the talent, despite two guys in Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio, who have very good defensive coaching track records, and also despite the lack of injuries, uh, really has been disturbing, you know, especially with these cryptic things That Ron Rivera has kept talking about, you know, guys being out of position, guys not playing the defense as it's supposed to be played, you know, maturity being a concern, etc. This Sunday's opponent, the Atlanta Falcons, does offer a chance to get right. The Falcons are a bad offensive team, although if Washington's defense keeps playing as it has been playing, it won't matter that the Falcons are a bad offensive team. The Falcons' starting quarterback, of course, is Matt Ryan. This is his age 36 season. He, through week three, is just 29th out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and ESPN's total QBR at 34.6. But he is a veteran, and he is more than capable of picking apart Washington if Washington is going to be guilty of these lapses that have been on display in each of Washington's first three games so far this season. Now, Ron Rivera faced Matt Ryan many times during Ron's time as Carolina Panthers head coach. Ron, during his post practice press conference on Wednesday, on facing Matt Ryan.
3: Well, we just have to make sure that, you know, we're not tipping anything. We're not showing our hand. I mean, this is a savvy guy. This is a guy that's been doing it a long time and has had a lot of success. He's a league MVP. Um, so, you know, he's a really good football player. He's got a good arm. He still makes all the throws. Um, you know, he, he is a little older. Uh, But with that comes wisdom and experience. And and that's what you see from Matt.
2: Yeah. And Josh Allen came into week three with really bad numbers in the 2021 season. And what did that end up meaning in terms of what went down in the 43-21 loss at the Buffalo Bills last Sunday? Washington's pass rush in that game was abysmal. Washington's pass rush has been terrible in two of the three games This season, The only game in which Washington's pass rush was good was a 30-29 win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field in Week 2. Ron, on Wednesday, on how opposing teams are combating and negating Washington's pass rush.
3: Well, I I think when you look at some of the things and some of the things that have happened to us, you know, we've had situations where they're trying to eliminate the pass rush by, you know, the way they throw the ball, you know, three steps, quick game, um, play action. Uh, you know, the, the way they set the protection up, you know, putting the extra tight end over there, putting the back over there to other sides. You know, there, there's a lot of ways to struggle. But at the end of the day, when, when we have an opportunity and when we do get the one-on-ones, you know, we've got to win. And, and that's the truth of the matter. You know, can we put them in ba- better positions? Yeah, probably. Sometimes we could. But at the end of the day, we, we just have to do our jobs and, and, and be more efficient.
2: So Ron mentions pass-rushing matchups that Washington needs to win. The two guys who, of course, need to start winning more the most are Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Chase Young, per pro football focus so far this season, has a pressure percentage of just 9.2%, ranking just 71st among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. Montez Sweat, per pro football focus so far this season, has a pressure percentage of 9.3%, ranking just 69th among all qualified edge rushers in the NFL. Not good enough. Rod right on Wednesday on What If Anything he tells Chase and Montez as they try to get going this season.
3: I think the big thing is you know they've got to stay the course more so than anything else. They've got to fall back to what they do best you know and that's one of the things that we've talked about as a team is 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 when things get tough you got to go back to your base fundamentals that that's the root of everything well their base fundamental the thing that they do best is to use their speed and strength and, and and their quickness more so than it is to to try and compute or something like that and I think that when you watch them some of the times you know they're they're trying so hard that that, that they're getting a little bit out of what their real element is and that's their athleticism
2: Yeah, so Ron, over his last two press conferences now, the day after the game Zoom presser on Monday and the post-practice press conference on Wednesday, has point-blank said that Chase Young and now Montez Sweat need to do some things differently. So how do the great pass rushers go about refining their techniques and perfecting their craft? Not that Chase Young and Montez Sweat are great pass rushers yet. Uh, You can't say that, but each guy certainly has the potential to be a great pass rusher and each guy was a very effective pass rusher last season. So, how do you go about doing this? Uh, more from Ron on Wednesday.
3: Well, I, I was, you know, I was fortunate I played alongside some of the, you know, Richard Dent, who was one of the all-time greats. And and the thing that happened is just it's over a period of time. They grow, they get better, they learn to do things the right way. I remember that, you know, when when I got to, to Chicago, My first and second year, I think, was Richard's second and third. Richard wasn't a starter, though. Richard was behind some guys learning and developing and becoming a starter, and and, and he grew into his position, and he understood how to do it. Um, And, and, you know, we've got guys that have been put in that position right off the bat, and they're kind of doing the same thing. They're learning, they're growing, and they're developing. You know, it's it's one thing to be out there with guys that have been in the league six, seven, eight years, um, and you're the only one that's a first-year guy. Uh, you know, we've got guys that are first, second and third year guys working together. So that's, you know, that's, we're going to grow. We're going to make mistakes, but at the same time, I think we can be better.
2: Yes, you can be better. And I tell you what, it was interesting and appropriate that you heard a siren in the background while Ron was talking there. This is a siren worthy situation. This is an emergency situation. I'm not calling Sunday at the Atlanta Falcons a code red game. Okay. We're not doing that but Washington's defense has got to be better this Sunday, especially in facing a bad offensive team and the Falcons. The Falcons through week three are dead last in the NFL in total offense per football outsiders DVOA metric dead last. Okay. Washington's defense should feast on the Falcons on Sunday. And so this was Ron on Wednesday on what this game at the Falcons will say about Washington.
3: Well, win or loss, I think the thing is, it's about how we play now. And and that'll talk about whether or not we're resilient, whether or not we can put things behind us, we can learn from from what happened in the past and and use it going forward. That's what I'm looking for as far as that's concerned. Um, I think it's an opportunity for us to to, to take a step. Uh, This can be a very competitive game. You know, both teams are in the same situation. So, you know, I, I expect it to be a hard play game.
2: And we hope, like heck, that it's a victorious game. Washington really could use this win, especially given what's coming. The next nine games for Washington after this Sunday's game at the Falcons home to the New Orleans Saints, home to the Kansas City Chiefs, at the Green Bay Packers, at the Denver Broncos, home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at the Carolina Panthers, home to the Seattle Seahawks, at the Las Vegas Raiders, home to the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, many things can and will change. But right now, that appears to be a brutal nine-game run. All right, we have a big college football game on Thursday night in terms of one of the big four teams in the region. Virginia at Miami, Thursday night at 7.30. And so I want to give you a Goldilocks selection for that game. I'll do a full-fledged Goldilocks segment on Friday's show, episode 157. So the Cavaliers fell to 2-2 two and two with a 37-17 loss to Wake Forest in Charlottesville last Friday night. Very disappointing performance by the Cavs. They fell to 0-2 in the ACC, trailed 10-0 in the second quarter, 23 at the half, and 27-10 in the third quarter, this just was not much of a game. Uh, the Wahoos defense got carved up for a second consecutive game. Who's allowed Wake Forest to go 7 15 on third downs? Allowed Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman to go 17 to 29 for 270 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. The Who's did not register a single sack. The Who's allowed Wake Forest running backs Justice Ellison and Kristen Turner to combine for 25 carries for 140 yards and a touchdown. Ellison, by the way, a local. He went to Flint Hill School in Oakton, Virginia. Also, way too many penalties for the Hoos for a second straight game. Uh, Virginia had 11 accepted penalties for 83 yards, this off in the 59-39 loss at then number 21 North Carolina on September 18th, having nine accepted penalties for 102 yards. So Virginia, over its last two games, has 20 accepted penalties for 102. 85 yards. That's ridiculous. That cannot continue to be the case. And while the Cavs quarterback, Brendan Armstrong, is having a very good season, and he and the loss to Wake Forest did have another big game in terms of passing yardage, the Cavs passing game was not nearly as good as it had been in each of the previous two games. And a lot of that had to do with Armstrong running for his life. Uh, Virginia did not protect Armstrong in this loss to Wake. Armstrong got sacked six times, including four times in the second quarter. He did throw for 470 yards, but the 470 yards came on 59 pass attempts. That works out to just 6.9 yards per pass attempt. And Armstrong went 33 of 59. Good for a completion percentage of just 55.93. Who's running back? Wayne Lapapa did not play due to a concussion. That was suffered and the loss at Carolina. Uh, we on Tuesday did not get an official injury update from head coach Bronco Mendenhall, but as players walked off the practice field, Tal La Papa was fully dressed, helmet and all. So hopefully he'll be playing for Virginia at Miami on Thursday night. But here's the deal. Tal La Papa's status isn't going to matter much if Virginia's defense isn't better. UVA through week four is just 123rd in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN, though UVA also is 17th in the FBS in offensive efficiency per ESPN. Like I said, Brendan Armstrong is having a good season, but this Virginia defense has just collapsed over the last two games now. You look at Miami. So the Hurricanes are 2-2, two and two, blowout losses to number one Alabama and Michigan State, wins over Appalachian State and Central Connecticut. Uh, Miami has yet to play a road game. That game against Bama was a neutral site game. Every other game has been a home game, and there's no doubt that Miami is a flawed team, and Miami has a major injury question going into this game. Uh, the status of quarterback Derek King, uh, he did not play in the 69-0 smashing of Central Connecticut last Saturday due to a shoulder injury. He is questionable for this game against Virginia. The point spread for Caesar Sportsbook As of late night, Wednesday night, Virginia plus five and a half. Uh, The line has moved. The game opened in most shops in that Virginia plus three and a half, plus four territory. It's hard to pick this game without knowing the status of king. Neither team overwhelms you at this point. But I really don't like where the Cavs' defense is at right now. Give me Miami minus the five and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Ah, a Thursday appearance from Snoop on the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the Nationals on Wednesday played their final road game of the 2021 season. And what a road finale this game ended up being. A 10-5 loss at the Colorado Rockies to lose the series two games to one. The game featured a rain delay of exactly two hours. And the game itself took three hours, 57 minutes. So the entire process that was this game took five hours, 57 minutes. Yes, just about six hours of your life were spent on Nats Rockies in late September on Wednesday if you took in the entirety of this game. That's the kind of thing That'll make you reevaluate some things. Uh, and that's now 65 and 94 on the season. They conclude a 30 and 51 season on the road. So the game was a classic Coors Field affair. Featured 15 total runs, 23 total hits, 12 total walks, two total hit by pitches, a total of 14 pitchers used in the game. Uh, each of the first two games in the series was relatively normal, but this game three of the series, a certified Coors Field special, uh, Paolo Espino, in what was potentially his final outing of the season, though not necessarily his final outing of the season, struggled in what ended up being an abbreviated start. So Paulo allowed four runs in two innings, did not come back into the game after the two-hour rain delay. He gave up four runs in the bottom of the first inning, uh, actually retired the first two batters he faced, but then allowed four consecutive Rockies to reach base. Paolo issued a two-out four-pitch walk at Charlie Blackman. Paolo gave up a two-out single by Trevor Story on a weekly hit ball into right field on an 0-2 pitch. Paolo gave up a two-out RBI single by CJ Crone through the left side of the infield and then came the big blow. Paolo giving up a two-out first pitch, three-run opposite field homer by Ryan McMahon to left center field for a 4-2 Rockies lead. Paolo did have a hit in the game. Top of the second had a leadoff single on a 1-2 pitch. Now, it's possible that Paolo pitches at some point this weekend in the net season-ending three-game series against the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park, especially considering that this was an abbreviated outing. Paolo only pitched for two innings. The Nets have announced starting pitchers for Friday night and Saturday, but have not announced a starting pitcher for Sunday. There was news on Wednesday regarding pitcher availability the rest of the season. I'll get to that in just a bit here. As things stand now, Paulo this season and what is his age 34 season and the first true season that he has had in the majors 35 games, including 19 starts, 109. And two thirds innings, ERA of 427, whip of 121. He is one of the more remarkable stories on the Nationals this season. Paolo was taken by the Cleveland Indians in the 10th round of the 2006 MLB draft. He entered this season having totaled just 30 career major league innings. He was never supposed to be a part of the Nats at the major league level this season. And instead, he has ended up pitching a ton due to injuries and ineffectiveness. For other pitchers, the fact that Paolo has pitched so much says a lot about other people, but it also says something about Paolo. He's been a reliable pitcher. He certainly has not been dynamic. I mean, he's not making you forget Max Scherzer, but for stretches, he's been quite good. And he's been someone who David Martinez has been able to go to in a variety of ways. And I give Paolo Espino a lot of credit, and my senses that we're not done seeing Paolo Espino in 2021. So the Nats bullpen on Wednesday. Uh, This was a special kind of ineptitude. Seven Nationals relievers in this game combined to allow six runs in six innings. Uh, Mason Thompson, Austin Voth, Andres Machado, Alberto Baldonado, John Romero, Sean Nolan, and Eric Fetty, your seven Nats pitchers used as relievers in this game. I will spare you the blow-by-blow accounts. But some of what we saw was just painful. I mean, take Mason Thompson's outing, for instance. Mason Thompson, in a Rockies two-run third, faced three batters, got nobody out, and then got yanked from the game. He issued a leadoff five-pitch walk at Charlie Blackman, then gave up an infield single to Trevor Story, then issued a hit-by-pitch to C.J. Krohn on an 0-2 pitch, and Davey Martinez had seen enough. Alberto Baldonado, he, in what was ultimately a three-run Rockies fifth, faced three batters, but got just one out as he gave up a leadoff four pitch walk to Ryan McMahon and a one out single to Don Nunez, despite him having been down in the count at 1.12. John Romero in that Rockies three run fifth gave up back to back run scoring hits to the first two batters he faced a one out pinch RBI double by Colton Welker, followed by a one out RBI single by Rymel Tapia. And on and on we go. This was the parade of ineptitude. A Nationals bullpen that has been overworked and has not been good this season, continued to be overworked and continued to not be good this season. Sean Nolan was like the one guy who came in and really, truly was effective. Two scoreless innings, tossed a scoreless bottom of the sixth and a scoreless bottom of the seventh. And then Eric Fetty was used in relief, uh, although Fetty gave up a run. He allowed a run in the bottom of the eighth inning. Now, Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference revealed that Fetty will not be making another start this season. Fetty has thrown a good amount of innings, so especially off the shortened season last year. Eric Fetty will not be starting again this season, although he still could be used in relief at some point the rest of the season. Davey, during his pregame press conference on Wednesday, revealed that Patrick Corbin will not be making another start this season. So yeah, Paolo Espino could pitch again this week and maybe even start the game on Sunday against the Red Sox at Nationals Park. We shall see. Uh, As for the Nats' offense in this 10-5 loss at the Rockies on Wednesday, you know, it's something else. The Nats, over the three games at Coors Field, did not hit a single home run. Zero homers for the Nats in this series. But the Nats did hit, and the Nats hit again on Wednesday. Just didn't hit enough. You know, just five runs and what ended up being a 10-5 loss. Rockies' bullpen actually did a nice job against the Nats' lineup as the game went on. Uh, Juan Soto one for four with an RBI infield single and a walk. Uh, Soto, in the Nats' two-run first, had an RBI infield single on a high chopper. To the right side of the infield, Soto in the top of the ninth, drawing a one-out five-pitch walk. Uh, Josh Bell went two for four with two singles and a walk. Bell, in the Nats' two-run first, had an opposite-field single to left-center field on an 0-2 pitch to load the bases. Bell, in the Nats' three-run third, had a lead-off opposite-field single into left field to beat the shift, despite having been down in that count at 1.12. And Bell in the top of the seventh threw a leadoff four-pitch walk. Some really good plate appearances from Josh Bell on Wednesday. Lane Thomas went two for five with a double and a two-run single. Thomas in the Nats two-run first had a leadoff double to left field. Thomas in the Nats three-run third, a two-out bases loaded, two-run single to left field for a 5-4 Nats lead. Luis Garcia had another double on Wednesday. This guy's been racking up the doubles here lately. Garcia one for three, with an RBI double and a walk, Garcia in the Nats' three-run third, an RBI double to right field to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-3. Garcia in the top of the fifth, a leadoff seven-pitch walk. Despite having been down in the count at one point, 1-2. And Alcides Escobar. So Escobar got on base twice, one for four with a vintage Alcides infield single and a walk. The vintage Alcides infield single came in the Nats two run first, an infield single on a slow roller to the left side of the infield. Your classic garbage hit by Alcides Escobar. And I say that as a compliment. This guy is the king of the dumpster dive hit. Uh, And then Escobar in the top of the six drew a one-out six-pitch walk. But the most interesting thing to me with Alcides Escobar's game on Wednesday was what went down with him defensively in the bottom of the fourth inning. So he committed a throwing error on a one-out grounder off the bat of Trevor Story. But Escobar then made a spectacular play, Uh, an outstanding throw on a C.J. Crone ground out for the third out as Escobar made a backhanded stab on the outfield grass in shallow left field and then made a colossal jump throw across his body to Josh Bell at first base. I mean, legitimately one of the best defensive plays any national has made this season. If you're a Nats fan and you didn't watch this game or you haven't seen that play, I would encourage you to seek it out. Uh, What a job by Alcides Escobar on that play. And again, it comes just moments after he has a bad throwing error. So... Uh, the good and the not-so-good for CD's defensively in that bottom of the fourth inning. But he, like a bunch of other Nats in this game, getting on base a lot, uh, but just not doing enough as the Nats get doubled up 10-5 at the Rockies. No game for the Nats on Thursday. Uh, Nats on Friday night begin their final series of the season, a three-game series against the Boston Red Sox at Nationals Park. The Red Sox are fighting for their postseason lives in this American League wildcard race with the New York Yankees, the Seattle Mariners, the Toronto Blue Jays. Josh Rogers will be the Nat starting pitcher for Friday night's Game 1. Josiah Gray will be the Nat starting pitcher for Saturday's Game 2. And then we'll see for Sunday's Game 3. As the Orioles are finishing up their latest uh, brutally bad season, we are getting our final looks at candidates for the Orioles' 2022 rotation. The uh, latest late season look-see came on Wednesday night, and this was a good late season look-see. Lefty Zach Lowther was good again uh, this time in a six nothing loss to the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game Two of a three game series. O's by the way now fifty one and a hundred seven. On the season, but the Arizona Diamondbacks lost again. The Diamondbacks are Major League Worst 50 and 108. So the dogfight continues between the O's and the Diamondbacks uh, for that number one pick in the 2022 MLB draft. Who will tank the worst by the end of this season? We shall see uh, Diamondbacks losing late night on Wednesday night 1 0 at the Major League leading. San Francisco Giants. But for Zach Lowther in this 6-0 Orioles loss to the Red Sox at Camden Yards, some good stuff. Two runs, one earned in five innings. Now, he did give up eight hits, a home run and seven singles, but he had four strikeouts, Versus no walks. And he was effective for a second consecutive start. Lowther in the 3-0 win over the Texas Rangers at Camden Yards last Thursday night. Five scoreless innings with seven strikeouts. Uh, Only gave up three hits in that game, all of which were singles. Did issue two walks into wild pitch. Did throw 94 pitches over the five innings. But he's looked pretty good in each of his last two starts here. So Zach Lowther is a guy who the O's recalled from AAA Norfolk on September 6th. He had pitched for the O's previously this season. He was taken by the O's in the second round of the 2017 MLB draft at Xavier. Like just about every Orioles starting pitcher or pitcher period this season, uh, Lowther has gotten rocked at times. Okay. I mean, Zach Lowther earlier this month got shellacked to the tune of seven runs in two innings in a 22 7 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Camden Yards on September 12th. So no one is a certainty right now when it comes to young Orioles starting pitchers. But what you're looking for is growth. What you're looking for is hope. What you're looking for is reason to think, okay, maybe this guy can give us something moving forward. And maybe, just maybe, Zach Lowther can give the Orioles something. I would think at the very least, Zach Lowther is a contender to be in that Orioles season opening rotation for 2022. Uh, Not much happening for the Orioles offensively, in this 6-0 loss to the Red Sox at Camden Yards on Wednesday night, Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes uh, each had a double. Uh, that was about it. Uh, Mullins on Wednesday, by the way, named the unanimous winner of the most valuable Oriole Award as voted by members of the local media. No surprise there. Game three against the Red Sox at Camden Yards. Thursday night at 7.05, Alexander Wells, another 2022 rotation candidate, will be the Oriole starting pitcher. All right that will do it for you and me for now keep the feedback coming you can tweet me at Algaldi you can email me the Algaldi podcast at yahoo.com Friday show episode 157 will be a football Friday extravaganza in-depth preview of the one and two Washington football team. At the one and two, Atlanta Falcons, including my rhyming keys for a Washington win, and a special guest to talk Falcons, Evan Birchfield of the Falcoholic, which is the SB Nation site for the Falcons. A post-game Virginia at Miami from Thursday night. Also, I'll give you the rest of my Goldilocks for college football week five picks against the spreads for Maryland versus number five Iowa in College Park on Friday night, and Navy versus UCF in Annapolis. On Saturday afternoon, huge game for the Terrapins against the Hawkeyes on Friday night. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.
3: Now, say my name. Heisenberg. You're goddamn right.
0: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants.